Hello everyone and welcome back to Just a Theory. Um, I don't know if you can tell, but I got a new microphone. So I think things sound a little better. So maybe that maybe that will help some of the issues that I didn't know how to fix with the last microphone. Maybe it was just the microphone and not me, you know. So it has been a couple of weeks since I posted. Um, if anyone was waiting for a post, I know a couple people did text me and ask when was I posting again. So I do apologize. I kind of had just decided I was going to take my like winter break from school and take a break from everything besides work, obviously. Uh, but then I was like, ah, I got kind of bored and I'm like, let me just, let me do some episodes. I do have some fun episodes on the way though. Um, of course I have today's episode and then I'm going to be doing an episode with my sister and then I have another special guest that I'm going to be doing an episode with very soon and then I have someone else that I'm also going to be doing an episode with very soon and that one's going to be like a little different one I think I'm really excited about that one um, just to see how things go but um, anyways today we're back on our true crime things um, we're going to be talking about actually a kind of recent case, and I'm pretty sure most people are familiar with this, um, and not because it was covered in the media, but because it was not covered in the media, actually. Um, today, we are going to be talking about the tragic murder, not death, I will never refer to it as just a death, but the murder of Tamala Horsford. Now, before I get into this, I want to say that this was by far the most frustrating case that I have done so far. Not that I've just done so many, but of the few that I have done, the few episodes I have done, this was literally the most annoying because I could not find any official documents. Like, all I had to go off of was the very few um, news articles which you obviously cannot always trust news articles and like podcasts back from 2020 of podcasters who had official documents because in 2020 the official documents were public and now everything is gone. It has disappeared. I cannot find it anywhere. I tried to find the case files because those were public in 2020. Cannot find them now. And I went to every possible website you could think of. I I even went on Reddit and I was literally on the verge of figuring out how to get on the black market to find these freaking documents. But I digress. Um let's just go ahead and get into it what I could get of it. So Tamala was born on December 10th, 1978. And she was Caribbean. Um, it's very important that I say she's Caribbean um, because she was not acclimated to, like, cold weather at all, obviously. Um, most people just called her Tam. In 1989, her family moved to the Bronx. And then she met her husband, Leander Horsford, in Florida, and pretty much everyone called him Lee. So they were married for 16 years, and together they had six children. Um, Lee had a daughter from a previous marriage that Tam pretty much treated and raised as her own. And then they had five 
boys together. And at the time of Tam's murder, they ranged from ages 4 to 14. Um, so they met in Florida, got married in Florida, were living in Florida, and Lee got a job in Georgia. So Lee, Tam, and the five boys, they moved to Cumming, Georgia, which was in Forsyth County. Obviously, the, the daughter was older, so she didn't move with them. She had her own life, pretty much. Um, but anyways, they moved to Cumming, Georgia, which is in Forsyth County. And it's important that I say that because if you don't know anything about Forsyth County, which I'm not saying I just know all these facts off the top of my head, uh, but I remember when this case came out, all the talk about that county. But Forsyth County was and honestly, arguably still is, obviously, a very racist county. And that is not my opinion. Those are facts. That is a fact. Uh, Forsyth is notorious for blatant racism. Um, and pretty much all the way up, like the blatant racism all the way up to the 1980s. And that really wasn't that long ago. I'm just saying. So I'll give you a little background on Forsyth County so you can kind of get an idea of what's going on. And so no one is like, oh, you just blah, blah, blah. That stupid stuff. So, first and foremost, this is just full background of Forsyth County. Um, white settlers began moving into the area in 1829 because gold was discovered in this region. Um, and the region was, at the time, populated by Cherokee Indians. And in 1832, Georgia leaders divided the Cherokee lands into 10 counties, and one of them was Forsyth County. So, obviously, the Cherokees were forcibly removed to Oklahoma at this time, and Forsyth County actually housed Fort Campbell, which was one of the forts that the Cherokees were assembled at before they were removed to Oklahoma. Um, in 1834, Cumming became the county seat. And it's also very important to note that uh, Forsyth was a poor and rural county whose economy largely depended on cotton. Okay? Okay. Fast forward. During the 20th century, about 90% of Forsyth's I don't know why that's such a tongue twister to me. 90% of Forsyth's population was white. Then in 1912, um, there happened what we know as the racial cleansing of Forsyth. Um, so there was two different incidents that happened in September of 1912. And one of them was the alleged rape of a white woman by three black men, and the other was a rape and assault of a white woman by a black man. And honestly, this is one of those things. Every source kind of said something different about it. I'm not sure which story goes with which thing. So... That's hard for me to say because obviously I don't want to mess the history up. I don't want to tell the wrong story on something, you know. But anyways, that was allegedly what happened. I don't know. It may have been the other way around. But what 100% did happen for sure is that a preacher was brutally assaulted by a white mob because he suggested that um, one of those 
incidents was a consensual relationship, actually, and not it was not rape. And then later, Rob Edwards, who was arrested for the one of the rapes, he was dragged out of the jail, shot, and hanged in the town square. And then um, two 16-year-olds were convicted by all-white juries, and they were hanged the next day. So after these events, the whites of Forsyth County pretty much harassed and like intimidated all of the black residents, and they pretty much threatened them to burn their homes and all their belongings down if they didn't leave. So within weeks, most of the um, black population was forced out of Forsyth County. And in 1930, there were only 17 black people who lived in Forsyth County compared to the 1100 in 1910. So that's a huge difference. Um, and in the 1950s and 60s, Forsyth County didn't even have to have any colored or whites-only signs or situations or type of things going on because there was literally no black population to segregate in that county. And all the way up to 1987, the county was all white. 1987, y'all. That's almost 1990. That's almost 1990. My parents were alive in 1987. Not saying y'all are old or nothing, but seriously, 1987. Anyways, in 1987, <clears throat> a small peaceful march was conducted in coming to commemorate Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And during this march, the white residents and Klan members actually threw rocks and glass bottles and they waved Confederate flags and signs that said, keep Forsyth racially pure. And they pretty much continuously, loudly, boastfully used the N-word. Um, and then like a week or so later, it was actually, I don't even know that it was a week. I think it was just a few days later. Activists from all over the country Yes, we love to see it. They returned and they marched through Forsyth again in what is now known as the Brotherhood March. And this march was very successful and actually was one of the largest civil rights demonstrations um, in the nation since, not, since the 1960s. So, kudos to them. I'm so glad people came back and was like, no, y'all ain't doing this. But... Even still, the black population of Forsyth County only made up 4% of the population. So out of the 251,283 residents, there are only 10,051 that are black residents. If you're not racist, then you understand how big of a deal all of that is in retrospect to this case. If you are racist, you're not going to get it. So, take that as you want. So, with that background, now let's get back to the Horsfords in the actual case. So, Tam and Lee's kids were really big into football, and they were actually excited to move to this area of Georgia because apparently this was a big county for football, a big football county, however you want to say that. Um, Tam was described to everyone as a super mom. And she was very involved in her children's extracurricular activities, school activities, and just their lives in general. And it was always noted that she was, like, super in love with her husband. Like, they were a very tight-knit, close, picture-perfect family. 
and but not the picture perfect family that ain't perfect really behind closed doors but they seem to be very happy very loving real deal genuine good people um she was noted as always showing up and being there for her kids now on november 3rd 2018 tam attended an adult sleepover which doubled as a 45th birthday party for one of her friends and a watch party for the alabama and lsu game and by the way can i get a real tie because we spanked that ass 29 to zip on their home field yep roll tie. so the party was supposed to start around 6.30 to 7 p.m.-ish. The game started at 8. Don't ask me. Don't ask me how I know that. Because you do know. I Googled it. <laughs> I Googled it. I remembered that. I didn't put that in my notes. I just remembered it. But anyways, that is so pointless. Tam arrived around 8.30 because she had to get the kids settled. And get this, how sweet is this? She also made them a casserole for them to heat up in the morning so that she knew they would all have breakfast, including her husband. So how sweet is that? She was late to her party because she was doing that for her kids and her husband. Anyways, she brought a bottle of tequila as a birthday gift for Jean Myers. And it was at the this party was at Jean Myers home. Um, and the person that was throwing the party, it was her birthday at her home, but her friend Stacy Smith was the one that was throwing the party. And John later actually said that she didn't want to, the tequila that Tam brought her because the smell of it, quote, made her throw up in her mouth. Rude bitch. Sorry. Take a shot. Like, girl, take a shot. For real. Take a shot because you're really doing too much. Like I said, Stacy Smith, she was the host um, of the party, and it was at Jean's home. And it was supposed to be a girls' night. No men. No men at all. But there actually were two men at the party. It was Stacy Smith's husband, Tom, and then Jean's 27-year-old boyfriend, Jose Barrera. This woman is turning 45, and she got a 27-year-old boyfriend. Go ahead, girl, but if it was the other way around. There was apparently a gender reveal earlier that day, which is why Stacy and Tom were both there. And then there was this whole ordeal about Tom didn't want to go home because apparently something was going on at home, which really don't make no sense because, bro, your wife's here. So how was something going on at home? And then Jose was like, he didn't want to be around all the women, but he also didn't want to spend the money on going out. So they just decided to stay in the basement and out of the women's hair or whatever. I don't know. It was really just weird. Like their reasoning for being there was super weird. Um, And then Madeline Lombardi, she was Jean's aunt that lived in her basement um, she was also there at the party with the seven other women. I'm not going to go through and list out all the names, even though I should. But I'm not going to do all that. I didn't I didn't write all their names down. Um, but Tam didn't really know any of the other women that was there. She pretty much only knew Jean. Um, and she met her through the youth league football because her kids played together. Um, which apparently also, though, she kind of met all these women the weekend before because they did like a, 
like a Halloween party at Jean's house the weekend before or something. They did some kind of big Halloween bash or something, I think. I don't remember, but anyways, they they she kind of knew of them, but this was the first time she was really spending any kind of time with them like this. And despite the fact that she didn't know any of the women, she made friends with them like really easily. That was something that everybody said in their interviews and stuff. And she actually called her husband Lee around like 10 p.m. And she told him that she was fine and she was having a good time. And later on in the night, she actually FaceTimed her stepdaughter to show her to all of the people at the party. And then like she FaceTimed Lee and the boys and showed them to everybody and just kind of introduced them like she was like showing them off and stuff. Now, supposedly, Tam drank a lot at this party, but even though they all said she drank so much, they all still were like, she wasn't drunk, though. Like, she was definitely in full control of herself. She never seemed drunk. Like, she maybe seemed buzzed at the most, maybe. That was something that they apparently all said in their interviews. So, who freaking knows? Um... But they also said that she was the only smoker. Like, they continuously re reiterated that she was the only smoker and that she had smoked while she was there. And some of them believed, like, maybe Tam was kind of just the type to smoke because she was drinking and not that she just smoked regularly. And all of them tried to point the finger at her and be like, she smoked weed, but we didn't smoke weed and we have never smoked weed. Never. But she did. Freaking weirdos. Weird, grown women. Weird. So pretty much as far as the available evidence goes, everything that I'm going to say about this is alleged, obviously, because we'll... Honestly, I feel like we... I feel like we might not ever know the truth. We might know the truth because they're all still alive and this is very recent. Obviously, this is from 2018. But... That doesn't mean anything. They might literally all take this to their graves. And it's a racist county who don't care nothing about bringing justice to this situation. Very obviously they don't. So, anyways, like I said, everything that I say on here is alleged. I'm not saying this definitely happened because I don't know. They don't know. Nobody knows what really happened besides the people that were there. And they're the ones that we get these stories from this is everything that i'm about to say happened comes from the people that were at the party apparently uh bridget fuller was the last to see tam alive um when her husband picked her up at 1 a.m now bridget says that tam walked her to the door and hugged her goodbye and kissed her on the cheek and said you're the nicest person ever i'm so glad i met you Whatever. But Bridget's husband said that Bridget walked to the door by herself and there was nobody with her when she when he picked her up. So, who freaking knows? Um, then the next morning, that's pretty much it as far as what goes on at night. I got some more stuff later on. But anyways, the next morning around 8.30, Madeline, who's the aunt that lives in the basement, if you don't remember, she wakes up before everybody, and she goes upstairs to make herself some coffee, and she looks out the window, and she sees Tam face down in the grass in the backyard. And when she sees this, she goes, well, I decided not to make my coffee and got down on my knees and prayed. Girl, what? Don't get me wrong. 
Bring it to the Lord, girl. Bring it to the Lord. But can you, like, call 911 while you're doing it or something? Like, take some action into it while you're praying. Like, you can do other things and pray at the same time. I'm pretty sure God will still hear you, baby. But, no. She gets down and prays, and then she runs upstairs, and she knocks on Jean and Jose's door. And she said that she heard the water running, so she just assumed that they were in the shower. So she went back downstairs because no one answered the door and she heard the water running. And she looked out the window again and she just couldn't believe her eyes, apparently. So then she decided to go back upstairs and knock on the door again. And at this point, it's like 8.45 and Jean and Jose were supposedly asleep and she woke them up out of their sleep, supposedly. Um, so, Jean came to the door and Madeline tells her, I need to speak to Jose right away. She then tells Jose that she saw Tam laying face down and not moving in the backyard. And she actually referred to Tam when she was speaking to Jose as your friend from the islands. Hmm. So, at this time, Jose <clears throat> goes downstairs and... John follows, and they all go outside, and they find Tam face down with her arms by her side with her palms up. And when when I say that she was face down, I literally mean she was face down. Her face was in the dirt. It was not turned to the side. Her nose was literally in the dirt, like face down. And through all of this, through this whole entire time, nobody tried to roll her over. Nobody genuinely tried to see if she was still breathing. Nobody tried CPR. Nothing. Like, literally nothing. Jose supposedly felt her back to see if she was breathing, and he also tried to bend her leg, and he couldn't. He said it was too stiff. But from what... From what they said, honestly, and how they acted, very obviously, they were like, didn't want to touch her. Like, they acted like they didn't want to touch her, which is weird because she's, first of all, she's supposedly your friend. She's a guest in your home, so she's enough of a friend to you that you invited her into your home and you are acting like she is some diseased, I don't know what, laying in your backyard and you won't even touch her. Like, if it was one of your other little friends... Would you have been acting that way? I feel like you would not have been acting that way. Um, and at 8.59, Jean called 911. And she told the dispatcher like about the party and how they had been drinking. And then she explained that Tam was laying face down in the backyard. And then she goes on to say, I don't know. She must have fell off the balcony. And then she hands the phone to Jose and tells him, here, you talk to them. And he takes the phone and he starts to talk to them. And at one point, he tells them, quote, I'm noticing a small cut on her right wrist. She's not breathing whatsoever. I don't know if this cut was self-inflicted. And then the dispatcher never says anything to them about trying CPR, but instead they kind of like feed into the theories of what happened. Like they're literally trying to solve this mystery on the freaking 911 call. Ugh. Anyways, Jose says she isn't breathing, isn't moving, and she is stiff, completely stiffed. And the dispatcher asks again, is she moving or breathing? And Jose says, quote, I have no idea if she is moving or breathing. I completely can't tell. 
Okay, mister, which one is it? Is she not breathing at all? She's stiff? She can't move? What is it? What is the real truth? And so they, the dispatcher starts asking if Tam was suicidal. Like, really? Really? But Jose says that he, like, he can't tell the dispatcher because he doesn't really know Tam. And he didn't know her enough to say that. And then the d- dispatcher asks how far the balcony is from the ground. And Jose says, quote, It's about 20 feet from where your feet are standing on the railing. Weird. That's just weird. I don't know why that was weird. But it was weird. Then Jose tells the dispatcher that they have cameras that would have caught, quote, the whole thing. And then he tells the dispatcher that they will check them, as in him and Sean. They'll check him. And nobody told this man not to check the freaking cameras. No one told him to turn the information over to police. Nothing. They were like, okay. And I'm sure you can guess this, but those videos were never given to police. And they were actually, apparently, supposedly, accidentally deleted. Go, go freaking figure. Um, but Jose said that he last saw Tamla at 1 a.m. in the kitchen. And he said, I think she was waiting for a ride or she was waiting until morning. Okay. And then at 9.07 a.m., the lead investigator arrived and they saw, the investigator and the officer saw Jose and they instantly recognized him. Jose was at the time a pretrial court officer and before that he was like uh he was I want to say a probation officer I don't remember what I did what I do remember though is he had several positions within like law enforcement type jobs and he like constantly would like lose his jobs or get fired or move around like it was it was just very odd I do remember One source talking about that. I didn't put that in my notes, apparently. So, when investigators arrived, they immediately determined that Tamla was deceased. And then the coroner and CSI showed up after that. And what's crazy is that EMS was never sent to the scene. And the investigators are the one who made the call that she was deceased, which I don't, I don't think that's supposed to happen. I don't have that much knowledge in that stuff, and I should have looked more into it. But I don't think that I think EMS has to do that, or the coroner, or something like. I don't think investigators are supposed to do that. I, I don't have a clue. I don't know. I might have just made that up. But anyways, when investigators found her, she had one arm up and out. And the other was by her side. But if you remember, when Jose and Jean were on the phone with 911, they said that she was face down with both arms down by her side with her palms up. And Jean actually said as if she had face planted. Um, <clears throat> anyways. So her right wrist was the one that was up and out. And it was very clearly swollen, bruised, and dislocated. And her body was actually sent to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation for her autopsy. And part of the reason that she was sent there was because of the strange position of her body. Um, so they originally like questioned the theory of her falling off of the balcony. 
because of the positioning of her body. And they also said that the fact that there was a lack of blood pulling around her body just kind of made no sense that she would have fallen from the balcony because obviously there would be blood around her body. Um, so since that didn't really make sense, they tried to say that she probably tripped over like the landscaping that was sticking up uh, right at the walkway, like I guess off of the little patio type deal. Um, and she like had a seizure or something, which is why she landed face down and didn't put her hands up to break her fall. But also though, I mean, a broken wrist from that short of a fall, like, mm, okay. So at this time, the investigators called all the people back who had left the party and told them that they needed to come back to the house immediately. And then they separated them into the rooms with like people who never left the party, and then all the people who left the party, they were in the same room. Everybody should have been separated, though. And I feel like that's that's common sense. Like, no experience in law enforcement. That is common sense. And this goes back to just like the Jean Bonnet case. Like, why was everybody not immediately separated and statements not immediately taking, taken? After first separate them, then take their statements separately. But what I mean, what do you honestly expect from a very obviously racially motivated murder in a very racist town? Let's just be real here. What do you expect? So Jean said that two women had to leave around 10.30 the night before because they had to go, like, take care of their kids or something. Um, Bridget left at 1.47 a.m., as we already stated. And then Marcy left at 4.10 a.m. for work. Paula left at 7.45 a.m. And apparently Tom and Stacy left at 8.30 a.m. Mm, okay, so Tom and Stacy, y'all just left. Y'all didn't see anything. 8.30 a.m., that's when Madeline got up, so... What sense does that make? But, hey, 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 what I say? We'll never know the truth of this, I don't think. Um, But Jose, when the officers arrive, um, he tells one of them that he lost. He last saw Tamla at 1.30 a.m. instead of 1 a.m., like he previously told the dispatcher. And he also went against his initial word by saying that whenever he saw her at 1.30... He, she specifically told him that she was going to smoke one more cigarette and then she was going to go sleep on the couch. So that completely contradicted what he said on the phone to 911. And then um, one, one thing that really made no sense to me is everyone during their interviews, everyone told the investigators that at some point that night, Tamla wanted to leave and go home, but nobody would let her leave and go home. They used the excuse that they didn't want her driving because she had been drinking. Okay, so I have compromised. Not compromised. I have comprised. <laughs> I have comprised a list of solutions for you. One. Honestly, let's just be real here. They all continued to say she was not drunk. So let her leave, bro. Just honestly, just let her leave. I don't even care. Sue me. Number two, call her husband. Other people's husband came and got them. Call her husband. And number three, call 
an Uber, or a Lyft. It is 2018. Literally. Call an Uber. What do you think people from the bar, drunk bargoers, did in 2018? They called an Uber. Call a freaking Uber. But anyways. I specifically remember, like, when this... Not when not when this happened, but whenever this blew up in the media because of the lack of media attention. I remember um, people talking about like how at one point in the night she wanted to leave. Like something happened that made her want to leave because, you know, she was having a good time. She called her husband and told her husband and she called her family and introduced them to all the women. She was having a good time. But at some point, something happened. Something transpired that made her want to leave. So what the frick, what happened that made her want to leave? And then, excuse me, why did they not let her leave? She's a grown woman. These are grown adults. That is weird. Why did they not let her leave? Now, Jose also originally told 911 that he was woken up out of his sleep by Madeline. But in the incident report and in his interview, he tells officers that he was cleaning up and he saw an unlit cigarette and a lighter on the floor of the porch and that the brand of the cigarette was the brand Tam smoked. And then also several of the other partygoers say they woke up and started cleaning that morning too. So either Madeline woke up before everybody or everybody was up cleaning. I don't know. Which is it? Don't know. We'll never know. Hopefully, I hope that at some point someone will come forward with this. Uh, it's not looking too promising. I really hope someone does come forward with it, though. Um, and not years, years now when they're not able to be punished for what they did. But, like, you know, I wish they would just come forward. But Jean and Jose both said that they saw her last at 1 a.m. And that Tam was going out for a smoke. So this is the third time that Jose has changed his story. First it was 1 a.m. Then it was 1.30. Now it's back to 1 a.m. So um, Jean actually... Jean, she's really weird. She's very weird. That's all I'm going to say at this second. I'll get to that in a little bit. But... She was the one that was, like, constant. Well, I guess her and Jose both, they were constantly, like, reminding investigators and stuff that they have cameras and they call, they they have security all at the house and blah, blah, blah. And apparently she has an app that lets her know when doors open and close in the house. So, um, according to the app, and you can find this screenshot on the internet still, the front door opened... And closed at 1.47 a.m., which I assume was um, Bridget leaving. And then the balcony door opened at 1.49 a.m. and closed at 1.50 a.m. And then it opened again at 1.57 a.m., but it never closed. And then also what's strange is the garage door opened at 1.39 a.m. and closed at 1.40 a.m. And then it opened again at 1.40 a.m. and it never closed. So who was going in and out of the garage? Don't know. 
<sighs> Another one of them things. Now, when Tamla's family were notified, they were immediately suspicious about what happened. And one of the main things that um, Tamla's family brought up as evidence that something was suspicious was the fact that it was November and there was absolutely no way that Tam would have been outside without a coat. And if you remember at the very beginning of this, I said that she was Caribbean and she was not used to the cold weather at all. It was pretty much like a running joke in her family that she would wear a jacket inside because she was so used to the warm Caribbean weather. And even in Florida, she was used to that. And this this cold weather, she wasn't, she wasn't doing it. And it was very cold that night, supposedly. I don't know because I didn't look up the weather, but that's what everything said. But her coat and her bag were at the front door just as she left them, like when she arrived the night before. So the next day, her autopsy comes back, and her blood alcohol level was 0.24, which is three times the legal limit. Time out. I want to say this. This whole autopsy thing, I don't trust it. I'm not saying that they lied about it, but we'll get we'll get to it like you'll see in a minute. But as any case like this, I don't trust anything. I don't trust anything at all. You can't trust it because obviously... You'll see, somebody was paid off for something. So if they were paid off for one thing, why would they not, like... Obviously, if they'll botch one part of it, they can botch, lie, do whatever they want to any part of it. So how do we know if this is true? But her blood alcohol level was 0.24, and that is three times the legal driving limit. Um, and her toxicology results um, revealed that she had marijuana and Xanax in her system. But the Xanax, it was like a very small trace of Xanax. And Tam did not have any Xanax prescribed to her. And they did not find any evidence of Xanax on her persons, like on her body, on her belongings, none of that. And all of her family was like, she don't do Xanax. Like, she don't do drugs at all but <clears throat> anyways her right wrist was severely broken and there was a one inch laceration on that wrist um there was another laceration on her left forearm and there were bruises and lacerations on her fingers and shins she also had severe injuries to her head neck and torso she had superficial abrasions on her forehead left eyelid the bridge of her nose, her chin, and the right side of her temple. She fell on grass. Supposedly, she fell. She fell on grass. If she fell, she fell on grass. She wasn't drug around, supposedly. She wasn't drug around on this grass that she supposedly fell on. She supposedly just fell flat plop down on the grass so why does she have these abrasions all over her face as if she was drugged through gravel or got into a cat fight or something her c2 was fractured which is her second vertebrae um and this fracture is common in people who experience like whiplash or mostly like if they slam their chin down on something really hard and it makes their head go back. Hmm. She also had a laceration on the right ventricle of her heart, which is an uncommon injury, 
but it usually happens when when someone does get this kind of injury it usually happens in a car crash with very hard trauma to the chest area now none of her facial bro- her facial bones were broken but she did have a ton of blank lord have mercy she had a ton of brain bleeding and her official cause of death was multiple blunt force injuries and they pretty much attributed it to a fall from a great height so you're telling me she was face down on the ground no facial bone no facial bones broken there was no blood in her mouth there was no blood in her nasal cavities from this supposed fall but but we're going with a fall. It was a fall. It was a fall. Okay. Cool. Now, I can't clarify this because some sources say that there were no photos taken during her autopsy. Most sources say that there were no photos taken during her autopsy. But there are a few that say there were like five. Actually, there was... There wasn't many sources at all. Everything is freaking gone. But pretty much, there was like... I only found two that said that they took very few photos, and both of those two said that they only took five photos. Regardless, the family and the family's attorney never saw any photos from the autopsy, and I think that's where they got that there were no photos taken. But, yeah, so. Um, Unfortunately, considering this, I did look into the process of an autopsy. I don't know why I get off on these tangents, but I like these little tangents in my research. But I got into the process of an autopsy just to see how many photos are like standard, just to see what's going on here. And so I want to say if they did, if they took no photos, obviously that's wrong. Obviously, no photos is definitely not right. But even if they only took five photos of Tamla. They, like, one billion, trillion, million, gazillion percent did not do their job at all. So, just right off the top, from my understanding, obviously, this is all from the internet. This is me as a Google searcher. These are the standard photos that are required for any death, even if it is due to natural causes. So, the first picture is a picture of the unopened body bag, which basically just proves that when they received the body, it was sealed how it was supposed to be, and it hadn't been tampered with, whatever. The second picture should be a picture of their head um, and their face to identify them. The third picture is a toe tag. Fourth, um, naked front of the body before they give like before they wash the body down five the naked back of the body before washing six the naked front of the body after they wash it seven the naked back of the body after they wash it um eight any and all injuries if it is um a death that's not of natural causes if it's of natural causes, there's not going to be any injuries and stuff like that. 
Um, number nine is any and all of their belongings with the body, like that were on the scene or whatever. And then number 10 is a close-up of their hands, both sides of their hands, and under their fingernails fingernails in cases that are not due to natural causes. So that's that's 10 right there that I've found. But obviously there's more than that because, excuse me, I'm sorry. There's more than 10 that are required because, for one, any any and all of the injuries, there was several injuries that should have been photographed. And when I put my 10, like my number 10, that's like six pictures just on number 10. Just on the number 10 slot, that's like six pictures. So only five photos, if, if that is crazy. Five photos is freaking crazy now let's fast forward to two weeks two weeks later when official statements were finally given by the party goers and not only okay not only were they given two weeks after the party here's the real kicker to me these interviews official very official formal supposedly supposed to be interviews were conducted in John's home they weren't conducted at the office nope they were in John's home no words honestly i have no words but as you can guess pretty much all of the statements were like super conflicting of each other but you know whatever honestly i feel like that really just kind of that just makes it worse. Like they literally they literally had two weeks to get their lie together and they didn't do it. So to me, that says Well, it could just be that they're really freaking stupid. But I feel like it says that they didn't care because they knew they were gonna get off on this. Like they they didn't have to get their lie together. It didn't matter. The case was gonna be closed. And that truly annoys me. So bad. It feels very disrespectful to Tamla. But, um, like I said earlier, during these interviews, they all repeatedly said that Tam was the only smoker. But, there were two lighters and two different packs, two different brands of cigarettes found on the porch. But what's crazy is none of the cigarettes were tested to see who was actually smoking them. And, Investigators pretty much just took all their word that Tam was the only smoker, even though there was blatant proof that she was not. They didn't even look into it. And apparently that night, the partygoers took Tam's phone and her keys. Sometime during the during that night, they took her phone and keys. Um. Now, like I said, all of this stuff was public in 2020. Even these tra- the transcripts of these interviews were public. Um, they were they were on a site that was uh, like a Justice for Tam site, which is no longer in existence. That site is gone. I y'all, I literally looked everywhere for these transcripts. I spent freaking hours trying to find them i spent hours there they literally don't exist at this point they do not exist 
I, like I said, I went, I even went on Reddit. I went down the Reddit rabbit hole looking for these transcripts because I wanted to have something in front of my face that I could read off of. And obviously, I wanted to be able to read everybody's interview on my own so I could gather my own thoughts and my own opinions. But I couldn't do that. So I had to go off, I had to go listen to other, I had to go listen to old podcasts from like 2020 in order to get actual quotes from these interviews because couldn't find the freaking transcripts. I even tried to find in the case files and you, excuse me, can't even find the good part of the case files. They have like links of what they claim are the case files, but there's like no information in there. That was, that just pissed me off, honestly. I think I spent more time looking for the dang transcripts than I spent researching this thing as a whole. <sighs> so, I digress as I always do. Let's first talk about Madeline's um, interview. She was a living aunt, just for reference again. Um, we She kept the same story from the beginning. She said the same thing from the very beginning. Everything, she never changed her story. But what was strange is in the middle of her interview, Jean busts in the room and says, quote, I'm going to start charging y'all rent. And the investigator was like, get out of my head. Whatever that means. Don't know. I don't, I can't, I can't look at the transcripts. But anyways, then Jean goes on to say, look what I just went and got y'all gift cards. And then she was like, then I told I was told I shouldn't because it would look bad if I give you something before this case is closed. And it's very typical because I figure all the cops love Dunkin' Donuts, right? Girl, you are, are you for real? BFFR. She is bribing these folks on record. She's bribing these folks on record. And then she goes on to say, Do you need me or can I go upstairs and get ready for this funeral? This funeral? This funeral? Can you just... Can we just... Can we just handle Jean, please? Can someone just handle this lady? When Jean walks out... After she decides to go upstairs and get ready for this funeral. Um, they got right back to the interview, but they kind of wound up cutting it short. Apparently, like, two minutes later. Um, because the vibes were just railroaded when Jean interrupted. So, now let's talk about Jean's interview. Um, in her interview, she completely contradicted what her aunt said. And... What she said happened was that her aunt supposedly always goes outside to see the weather because she's still getting used to a to Georgia weather. And she said that her aunt went outside, saw Tam, went back inside, washed her face, and prayed, then went back outside. And John said that she didn't hear the first knock, but she heard the second time. And then she said that Jose went down first and then hollered. If you're from the South, <laughs> we love a good holler. 
All right, I'll holler at you later. My papa loves to say that. But anyways, <laughs> she said Jose went down first and he hollered for her to come down and bring her phone. Um, she then specifically says that she stayed on the gravel when she went out and gave Jose her phone to call 911. Liar. You freaking liar because we got that. That part is set in stone that you called 911 and you talked to 911 first. Um, but she says that he touched her back, but she told him, no, don't touch her. And he said he had to because they were on the phone with 911. Why, like, that's what I, that's what I mean earlier when I said they were, like, acting like they didn't want to touch her, like she was just some, I don't know, like, they were acting so weird about it. But she said that Jose touched Tam on the back and said she's not breathing, and then Jean said, excuse me again, I'm so sorry, Jean said, that she thought Jose touched Tam's leg and that it wouldn't bend, but she couldn't remember for sure for sure if that's what he did. But then Jean said that Jose said while they were on the phone, she quoted him as saying, Rigor mortis has already set in, she's gone, which was not in the nine one one transcript. Um, and then John claims that she was so hysterical and all of this is supposedly what happened when they were on the phone with 911, which the transcripts do not reflect that. Um, but John, she also reiterated that both of Tamla's arms were down by her side when Jose and John found her. And she was 100% sure of that because she said that image was burned in her brain. And she said that it looked as if she had face planted. And then... Her little dumbass says, quote, Like, and all my stuff is based on Law and & Order and CSI, and it's not a good reference point, but I was just shocked at how she was laying. End quote. And then, Jean goes on to confusingly insinuate that Tamla did coke. Like, she just was being real messy. Some real messy type stuff. And I'm not going to quote what she said about that because, one, like I said, I got these quotes from other podcasts and it was annoying to get the quotes that I got. But what she said literally made no sense at all and I couldn't comprehend it because it made no sense. It was just blabbering. But she basically tried to start a rumor that Tam did coke. And through the whole interview, and this was pretty much on all the podcasts that I listened to, they said that Jean seemed to be, like, pretty flirty and, like, very friendly with the officers. And the, the lead investigator's name was Michael, and it got to the point where she was calling him Mike. And she was, like, joking about having their number saved in her phone because she was having to send them photographs and things like that from the night before, like, as far as evidence. And she was, like, joking about having their number saved in her phone and stuff. And then she goes on to answer a phone call during her interview, and she's talking about her ex-husband's baby mama in the interview and how she don't like her and all this extra stuff. So, in summation, her interview was very contradicting, not really helpful at all, more incriminating than anything. So, let's talk about Jose's interview a little bit. 
Jose told the investigator that they found Tam face down with both arms by her side as well. And the investigator told him that someone had to have moved her arm then because every bit of evidence and documentation from the crime scene shows or states that one arm was up and the other was down by her side. And Jose responds and says, correct. And then the investigator asked Jose if he knew who did it. And then Jose said that uh, he went back inside while he was on the phone with 911 and he did not go back outside to Tam until the investigator arrived and he showed, he took the investigator to Tam's body and then the investigator um, basically told him to go back, to go inside and not come back out. So he said he didn't know pretty much. He said all that to say he didn't know. And then he also said during his interview that they were woken out of a dead sleep. But in the incident report, he said they were out cleaning. So, what's going on? What's going on? What is going on? Um, so, the investigator says, quote, What else did you do that morning? I think we talked about some cigarettes, end quote. And Jose responds, quote, Right. So, when I initially went out there to, uh, to see what was going on, and there was a loose cigarette and a lighter laying on the back deck, and being as OCD as I am, I walked out there. It was kind of just in my path, end quote. He said he went out and grabbed the cigarette and the lighter, and he set it on the fireplace. And then the investigator asked if he did that before he saw Tam, and Jose was like, yes. But if he knew what he was walking, what he was about to walk up on, then he wouldn't have moved anything. And obviously, his interview was completely contradicting. And his story, like, continuously changed throughout this whole thing from the very beginning. No help at all. More so incriminating, once again. So, let's talk about our dear friend Bridget's interview. I wish one of my favorite podcasts... My favorite, my favorite, not one of, my absolute favorite podcast. She did a great job of talking about Bridget's interview, and it made me want to read the transcript so bad. But as you know, I can't find it. I cannot find it. But Bridget said that Tam was eating a bowl of gumbo when she left and like I said she said that Tam walked her to the door and gave her a big hug and a kiss on the cheek and told her that she was such a great person and she was so glad they had met and Bridget was all over the place in her interview like on some squirrel type stuff you know what I'm saying like yeah um and she can like she kept referring to herself as the mother hen of that group of women like in the weirdest strangest ways supposedly like I said, I didn't read it, but I did get some quotes. I, I, I heard some quotes. I didn't quote her on much of anything, I don't think. But, um, anyways, she kept referring to herself as the mother hen. And like, it was to the point that it was just really, really, really weird. And she had the most elaborate and irrelevant answers for the simplest of questions. Like, she kept digressing with every answer to the most irrelevant things that she could possibly think of. Like, she was just super weird. And I'm, like I said, I didn't get really any quotes because it was just, it was too much for me to not, like, it was too much to not have the transcript in front of me and be able to read from it. Like, I think one of the main things is, like, they asked her were people drinking that night, and she went on this, 
Like, okay, let me say this. Pretty much they said that her interview transcripts were like 45 pages long. Her transcript was 45 pages long. And in those 45 pages, they only asked her like four questions. So, she was nutso. She was weird. She was so weird from what I can gather. Um, but one thing that was weird is she, like she kept insinuating that she was prepared for an emergency if it were to have happened that night. It was just really weird. So not really much useful information came from her interview at all. But she did carry Xanax around in a vial around her neck. So there's that. There's where the Xanax came from. Um, but there was no media coverage of this case until around, like, mid-December. But even then, there wasn't really anything in the media. Even, like, even at that time, there wasn't, this wasn't really being talked about. At this point, the case was closed. It was dead. That was it. And all the people that went to the party were pretty much given Tam's friends and family, like, very conflicting and pretty much ever-changing stories. They, honestly, they tried to gaslight her friends and family, and they would be like, well, we told you this story because this is what we knew, and then we, when we found out more things, we changed the story because we knew more things. And I'm like, this ain't a, this ain't a story. This ain't like a novel. This is real life. The only thing you should be telling is what really happened. There shouldn't be no story to change. And they kept referring to it as a story. They kept calling it story, story, story. But anyways, the only reason that uh, there was any coverage of the case in mid-December is because um, Tam's friend, Michelle, basically kept speaking out. And she was like over it. And there, she was like, nobody is doing anything about this. This was obviously... A homicide. This was not a suicide, not accidental or purpose. Like this was a homicide for sure. Um, so Jean put out a protective order and a cease and desist against Michelle, which was dismissed. It didn't come of anything. And then Jose was actually fired from his job in December because he was accessing the investigation files for Tamla's death. He accessed them on November seventh. And November 20th. And then um, he also accessed the restraining order file that um, Jean filed on Michelle. And um, anyways, back to the... Let's talk for a second about the video camera ordeal. I know I mentioned it earlier. So they're in their, in their files, Jean and... Well, Jean's. Jose did not live at the house with Jean. She was, he was just her boyfriend. But... Um, anyways, there are videos from the day surrounding, or the nights and everything surrounding that night, but there are not any from that night. She said, quote, I must have deleted it. I'm not tech savvy, so I'm not sure if we can get it back. Girl. Girl, come on. So, anyways, she still, she sent the, um, investigator an email with her, login stuff for her security camera so he could log in and see but obviously she had already deleted it deleted the videos from that night go freaking figure also one of the witnesses was quoted on the stand this was suspicious uh one of the witnesses was quoted on the stand as saying quote well we left before it went down suspicious so suspicious 
Now, this is some interesting insight that I got from one of my podcasts, which I actually was going to look into this whole rigor mortis ordeal because I felt like, okay, something's going on there because obviously somebody moved her arm. But Jose said that he could not bend her leg. Okay, rigor mortis is, if you don't know, rigor mortis is what sets in after someone dies. And I think it's like um, 10 hours maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know the exact amount. But it's at a certain point after a person has deceased, you will not, like their body will be stiff. You can't move it anymore. So, <clears throat> um, also common sense, temperature Cold temperature slows rigor mortis down. If it's hot, it speeds it up. So, Jose said that he couldn't bend her leg. It was very cold that evening, apparently. And, um, like I said, the temperature slows it down. So, even in regular, uh, what's the word, situations, I don't know. Um, no, that's not the word I want to say. Regular, um... I can't think of the word. I'll think of it in a little while, probably when it's way too late. But circumstances, no. That's not it either. I don't know. Okay. Sorry. Um, so like eight afters after a body die after a person dies, they are said to be um like in moderate to complete rigor. Um, but that's in normal conditions. That's the word. Conditions. Yes. I love it when that happens. Conditions. Um, but it was cold that night, so we were not under normal conditions. Um, I am just totally off on a tangent right now. I'm so sorry. But eight hours, the body can still be moved, but it's stiff. And that's under normal conditions. So you think it's cold. So she's extra preserved right now. So I hate to say that. That feels so wrong to say, but it's true. She's much more preserved than she normally would be. Also, well, the reason that I say all that is, okay, obviously then if she, she couldn't have been so stiff that she couldn't, he couldn't move her leg. She couldn't have been that stiff. Like rigor mortis, and if she was that stiff, then that means she definitely passed before 1.30 a.m. when supposedly everyone saw her for the last time. Like, apparently, if she was that far into rigor mortis that she couldn't be moved, she had to have passed away way before 1.30 a.m., okay? Her death certificate, though... The official time of death says 1.30 a.m. I don't know what that means. I don't know how accurate they get with those things. But her death certificate says that her official time of death was 1.30 a.m. So, all that's weird. You can, if you want to research that, I'm sure no one cares to research that about rigor mortis. But, yes. So, something's fishy about that whole situation. Um, also, in 2020... This case reopened. But they did have a second autopsy. I'll get to that in a second. They had a second autopsy performed. The family did. And it showed that some of her injuries, some of her injuries were inflicted post-mortem. So, I didn't ever see 
They didn't ever find where they said which specific injuries. I don't know. Everything is so hush-hush. I don't know why. I don't know if it's from the partygoers. I don't know. I don't know why everything is so closed off. Or non-existent. But, anyways. So, this is how I knew of this case and pretty much everybody. A change.org petition was created by a social media activist, Ashley Harris. Thank you, Miss Ashley Harris. Um, and the petition called for the case to be reopened, and it actually amassed more than 709,000 signatures. And it got pretty big because um, T.I. and like 50 Cent. I even want some somebody else i can't remember who it was some it was a it was a woman um was i i think kim kardashian kim kardashian yes it was kim kardashian but there's another woman i'm thinking of but i can't remember who it was but anyways they shared the post about the case and they were like very adamant about she deserved a second investigation so on june 12th of 2020 um, Forsyth County Sheriff Ron Freeman sent a letter requesting that the case be reopened and investigated by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And he stated that the investigation was best um, undertaken by an independent law enforcement agency. So the GBI agreed to reopen the case on June 18th, 2020, but they didn't ever specify when the investigation would be, like, would begin. And then, on July 28th of 2021, the GBI concluded their reinvestigation and ultimately decided not to pursue criminal charges, which I feel like, I don't know how this works as far as the law goes, but I feel like the same entity that performed the first botched investigation should not be the same entity that performed the second investigation. That's just me, though. It may be a requirement of the law. It may be a thing that the same person, people, whatever, have to do the investigation I don't know. That just don't seem right to me. Like, obviously, they didn't get it right the first time, so why the frick are they doing it again? But, just a theory. I, I I don't have a theory on specifics because I could not read the transcripts. I think if I could have read the transcripts, I might have had a better idea. Obviously, though, I'm not no freaking psychic, like... I don't know exactly all the details, but I do think, I do feel like Tamla was drugged or attempted to be drugged with the Xanax. Um, and I definitely think that it was not accidental. It was not accidental at all. Um, that's pretty obvious from the injuries it wasn't accidental from the injuries from the way she was found on the ground if you fall if you fall down first of all your very first instinct if you're falling face forward is to turn your head to the side 
You're going to do that whether you want to or not. It is a natural instinct. You're going to turn your head to the side. Second of all, you're going to put your hands up to catch yourself. If you trip over something or even if you fall from a balcony 20 feet in the air, you're going to try to break your fall with your hands and you are not going to let yourself face plant. I'm sorry, you're not going to. It is a natural instinct of the body to cover your head and cover your face anytime something happens. If something's flying at you, guess what? The first thing you're going to do is turn your head to the side, duck it down, and cover your head with your arm, arms. Tell me I'm on. How many times have we done that? Okay. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know specifics. I do think that the Xanax in her... Um, system was weird. I do think that they tried to drug her for some reason. I think that something obviously happened that made her very uncomfortable because she wanted to leave for some reason. And they wouldn't let her leave. They took her phone. They took her phone, so that's weird. But did they take her phone? Did they take her phone after they killed her? Did they do that? Is that what happened? And they were like, well, we took her phone so that nobody could say, well, she didn't communicate. She wasn't on her phone from this time to this time. Blah, 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 blah. Right, well, we took her phone. Okay. Who knows? Don't know. We'll never know. I hope we know. I hope that we know one day. I hope someone comes forward and tells. But, yes, that is just my theory. She was definitely murdered. And rest in peace to her. And I hope that they get some justice for Tamil Horsford very soon. Um, I hope that someone who went to that party will have the decency to come forward and confess or snitch, whatever the case is. I just hope that there is some justice served on Tamla's behalf because as far as I can tell, she was a great mother, a great woman in general, a great wife, a great person. Um, and she deserved a lot more than that. She deserved a lot more than that. That's all I'll say. So, if you're racist, you suck. You suck if you're racist. And I don't like you. So, that's my theory. That's real. That's not a theory. The last part that I just said, you suck if you're racist, that ain't a theory, but... I definitely think that Tamla Horsford's murder was racially motivated. She was the only black woman at this sleepover. She was the only black person in general, um, even of the men. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely homicide. And you will not convince me otherwise. And there are, I don't know that there's much of anyone who believes that they were innocent. I I haven't seen anywhere where somebody has said, quoted, posted anything that those women and men were innocent that night. Um, all I see is that it was a cover-up. It was a lie. She was murdered. And I believe it 100%. So, that is it for this case. Like I have said, rest in peace to Miss Tamla Horsford. And I hope justice is served to her and her family, her children, her husband, everybody. They all deserve it. She deserves it. So, <clears throat> hopefully that will come. I really, really, really hope that it does come one day. Um, so, 
until next time I like I said I do have some exciting episodes coming up I think also I kind of I'm going I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do like a 2022 wrap up that's not gonna be anything about a theory I'm just gonna get on here and talk um so be looking for that thanks everybody for listening I hope you enjoyed it and until next time bye